Welcome back to Off The Court and my part two chat with Ian Rhodes. It's difficult to capture everything that you might want to capture when there are so many stories, experiences and wonderful anecdotes to hear, let alone hearing his insights into life, uh, hence the reason for two parts. In this part of our conversation, Ian talks about what success means to him, alongside reflecting on his experience of being a single dad in the 80s. He wrestles with faith and lends some fitting advice to us all. Enjoy. So yeah, so you'd like to return to basketball. I didn't think I'd ever hear you say that. Go on. What? what, what there was a story. When I when I first started school in Bolton, I did I did a little bit of basketball, and there was a chap there from another school, which was which which was a private school, and being very competitive, um, I started applying myself to, to basketball coaching, going on courses, etc. And then when I went through to Trafford, I had six years at Trafford at a place called Blessed Thomas Holford School, which was a secondary school, but they were very nice children indeed, and they, they wanted to learn, they wanted, mm. wanted to apply themselves. And we had some good teams, and we won the equivalent of one. One team won the equivalent of North of England, as as you can remember yourself. Yeah. So when I got to collegiate, one of the things that I wanted to develop was basketball, because basketball is different than soccer. Because when children come to you as a secondary PE teacher, um, they all think they can play football. And the parents, most blokes, think they can play football as well. And they think they can coach the children and they think they've taught them correctly. But they haven't, of course. And it takes you some time adapting and changing. Yeah. But with basketball, they come through, they don't know anything. Blank canvas. It's a completely blank slate. So you, if you've got ability, such as my good friend, Mr. Blake, you can make children into really good basketball players and that was my aim at uh, at, at collegiate mm. unfortunately when I, when I first arrived there um, there was a there was a team there was a sixth form team who who had uh, mr. Nigel Yates as the top man and they hadn't been entered for a national basketball competition and if they had been by the previous PE teacher we would have won the nationals at that year, mm. very definitely, because six stroke seven of the people who were playing ended up playing for Blackpool. Yeah, and Nigel, of course, famously went on and played professionally for many years. Indeed, yeah. People like Gary Cross, mm. uh, Peter, who was who was also a, a fantastic tennis player. Tennis player, yeah. They they had a fan, we we had a fantastic team, and we went round the north of England beating people by 20, 30 points, but they weren't allowed. I actually asked if they could be put into the competition, but they wouldn't allow it, which was a great shame, really. Yeah. But coming back to 11 to 16 children, as you know yourself, there was an opportunity for children to come in at 8 o'clock in the morning, or if it was you, 7 o'clock. With a key. With the key <laughs> from the caretaker. <laughs> and that's how skills develop. Yeah. And yeah. as Matthew Sayed says in the 
quality book bounce, you need to do 10,000 hours. Yeah. And you probably did 10,000 hours I th- in I, your five years. I think I probably did do 10,000 hours. Yeah. I mean, uh, two little things just jump out at me when you talk about that time, that period. One is about Nigel. So I remember playing basketball. I, I think I was in about the second or the third year. So year seven or year, uh, year eight or year nine at the time. And Nigel would come down from the sixth form and he'd say, Jez, get a ball, we'll go play one-on-one. And the, the score would be 50-1 or 50-0. Be a great workout for Nigel. Not such a good workout for me, but I learned so much, you know, by, by playing against somebody of his age, size and quality. It was, uh, yeah, he was certainly tenacious. So I want I want to kind of move off basketball if I could and just go on to some kind of more general things. Out of interest, if you hadn't been a teacher, what would you have been, do you think? It's a tricky question, that. I, I would have wanted to be something involved with sports at some point. If I couldn't mm. have become a professional uh, footballer or professional sportsman, I would have wanted to do something with sports, mm. either coaching at, at, at a good level. Mm. I mean, I, I loved athletics and I loved working with children at school with, with athletics. Um, because I think it's probably the I think it's probably the best sport for children. Any anybody can be an athlete, even if they're a really big lad. You know, a, a lad that was in your year, Stuart. He he was a massive lad, but he was a great great shot shot put thrower. He he, he he couldn't run, but he could throw a shot and he could throw a discus and he could hurl a hurl a javelin. And he enjoyed it. He did. Stuart Grundy. Stuart Grundy, yeah. Introduced me to Queen. Not the Queen, but the band. Queen the yeah, band. Yeah. Yeah, good old great, Stuart. Great guy. Yeah. Great guy. Well, it's in, the reason I ask you that question is because uh, you're retired now. And, you know, I'm approaching retirement. I think sometimes people say things like, well, I wish I'd known about that type of job or... I wish I'd known about that career, you know. My life could have been so much different. But there seems to be a certain satisfaction and contentment with the career you had for yourself. You did something you enjoyed every day. I did, and my last six years were... I mean, I had five years in the Prue, and I really enjoyed that. It was tough, It was it was difficult... And people said, why do you do it? I said, well, every day is different. You know that there's going to be an incident every day and you, you, you can affect that. You can, you can help the person. Yeah. And usually, it, quite often, it wasn't the student. It was the teacher. Yeah. Because the teachers had incredible problems. Mm. And you could support them and guide them and, and set them off on a, on a better path. But my last six years were was training teachers, which I which I loved. Mm. I loved doing, and I retired at sixty four, and that was because of uh, Mr. Gove, who was the education minister at the time, because he he stopped graduate teacher program, mm. which was the best way to bring 
young people into our, into our profession because it allowed an outside an outside unit in the, in our case Lancashire and Cumbria uh, to to go into schools and to work with with the student teachers inside schools. Mm. But nowadays that has all stopped and the work is given to teachers inside schools that don't have any time, mm. a, a spare time to work mm. with, the, with the new teachers or with the students. Mm. I mean, that might speak to the, to the recruitment crisis we have right now. And, and it's not just in education, is it? There's, there's recruitment crisis in so many of our of our kind of mainstream areas like that the health service and yes and and, um, and schools is is one of those areas where there's a real recruitment issue and and that's polarized in Blackpool for lots of different reasons but you're right that graduate teacher program and the way that that went about it certainly brought a lot of people into the profession that it may not have been able to do before that and it's not been able to do since but it's interesting because you you're coming almost full circle with with um, helping those then to go on and help others. Yeah, and that's that's something that I want. When I was at college, that was my aspiration to actually become a, a lecturer, right. a PE lecturer. Okay. And in the end, right at the very end of my career, my last six years, that's I, I was more than that, I suppose, because I, I worked with uh, people in, in all different... Um, in all different subjects, but my main part of my job was PE PE students, mm. and I would see I would see them once twice a week, and we would work on different activities: athletics, basketball, soccer, hockey, wh- whatever. Yeah, and it would give them an an incredible grounding, which I was able to have in my three year study at, at a college many many years ago nowadays isn't given to them no but the graduate teacher program especially in Lancashire and Cumbria was able to do that I did a piece of work um, just before I finished and it was about retention and in Lancashire and Cumbria teachers who'd gone through the GTP 96% of them were still in teaching after five years Mm. and the percentage coming from other sources, from universities, uh, was 40, I think 46%. I'm not sure it's changed much, that percentage, in that in that area. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something about those, it's something about life experience people have before they come into the GTP, isn't it? And I think so. Yeah. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Because they've tried something else, they've seen that it isn't for them, and they thought... I can make a difference by by coming into this profession, mm. and they apply themselves. I mean, I I can honestly say of all the PE students that I had during that time, um, that I, I I would have quite happy employed any of them. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, such as you interviewing people, you know, I I I used to look into their eyes, and you can see in their eyes whether they want it or not. Yeah. would you describe yourself as a successful man I don't I don't know what what success is really Um, I feel I'm successful in that um, you know I I have a loving wife 
uh, I have I have two lads um, who've who've done really well in life. They've both both got good careers. Um, one of my youngest son Simon has got two, you know, fantastic children as well. So family wise, I would say, you know, I, I am successful. Yeah, mm. uh, but a, a lot of it is luck as well. You've got to be lucky in 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 love. You've got to be lucky in life, haven't you? Luck. That's an interesting one, isn't it? It is. Yeah. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Indeed. Well, you you look back on on your career, and when I first started, I put a phenomenal amount of time in, into my job, and because of that, people recognise it, and you 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 move up, don't you? Yeah. Um, and you, you you develop yourself, and you've got to put. We come back to the the word time again. You have to put time in. You've also got to you have to have knowledge. Yeah. But time to me is 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 a major thing. Mm. So we know, don't we, that in the in the eighties uh, you were a single parent bringing up your two boys. Indeed. Um, what was that like? What was that experience like? Because just before you answer it. When I asked you about success, I didn't think you'd go there. I didn't think you'd go to, you know, your, your kind of your boys and and being a granddad and your loving wife. Um, I mean, it's great to hear that. It really is because I think that shows me that actually sometimes we 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 seek out success in the wrong places. Um, it's it's far closer to home, isn't it? But what what was it like growing up as a what was it like? Sorry, as a as a single dad in the eighties, it, it was it was difficult, and without the help of my parents, uh, friends helped as well. You know, you helped, um, Jared, um, Nigel helped when I was struggling. You know, picking picking one of the lads up to to bring them to a, a game or something like that. Mm. Because if I, I if I hadn't had that support, I, I wouldn't have been able to continuing my job I'm sure I, I would have had to stop my job and, and move on to something else mm. something which which was easier time wise I mean Simon uh, my youngest boy he spent six years on a, every Saturday morning run, running up and down a football or a rugby field because I had nobody to look after him so he he's ended up an outdoor chap yeah. as his brother is yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and couple of things jump out with me when you're talking about that one is one is resilience you know a, a, an ability to stick at something to not give up to not even think about failure but just just to carry on you've clearly got that haven't you I mean people used to say to me I, I, how, how do you manage and I, I used to say back to them I, I never think about it yeah and I've never overthink I just get on just get on with it in the same way that you, I, know, I know that you do um, I don't think about things you just move from one position to another position one of the things that I've, I've, I've thought of many times is to do is to do with Nicholas that um, he, he, he was a fantastic swimmer and two lads that he swam against became Olympians um, really, and he used he used to beat these two lads, 
But because of my situation, when he was 13, he, he was swimming so many times a week. I used to drop him off and everybody was okay. But when uh, we got to this point that if he didn't start doing, he, he would only do evenings, he'd have to start doing mornings. So I gave him the option, you can do it, but you've got to do it yourself. Anyway, he decided, well, there was another, there was another part to it as well, that he's, um, he, he loved basketball. I remember. And he loved, he loved playing rugby as well. And his swimming coach, he was a fantastic swimming coach. He didn't want him to play rugby. He didn't, certainly didn't want him to play basketball. No. But I am totally different than that. And I said, look, the teacher's giving you the choice. You know, if you want to play, you play. So he weighed it all up and uh, he decided not to continue with it. But when you look back, I mean, we've had, we've both had conversations about this. When you look back, you know, did he do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? I know that a number of parents came to see me, uh, came round to my house and said, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. You're letting him down. You know, you're letting our club down because he could be... Hmm. Well, he... He he was he came third at the nationals, uh, which nobody else had done no. around here for many many years. But he he made the choice and uh, and he enjoyed doing different sports as as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean Nicholas is is certainly hopefully listening right now, and I'm pretty sure he would say what an, what an incredible set of opportunities he had as a youngster. I mean I I remember coaching him. There was, um, I can't remember anybody more passionate or more fiery than uh, than than Nicholas, and he's he's turned out to be a a very successful person too, hasn't he? He has, yeah. Well, um, Roy used to actually call him his enforcer. Enforcer, <laughs> great, <laughs> great. There you go, Nick. You are yeah. the enforcer. I'm pretty sure, and I'm pretty sure if you met those two kids who became Olympians now, Nick, you would definitely beat them in the pool. Um, world beater, world beater. What brings you most joy in? Most joy. I love this question. Yeah. Again, I, I've I've looked at this and put things down, and then crossed them out. I think, to me, it's when family and you know true friends do something really good and a, a successful. Um. When Anne, uh, my wife, won the World Nature Photography Competition, a- absolutely fantastic achievement. Amazing achievement. Yeah, and and that made me re- really proud. Um, with Nicholas's successes, and Simon, as he was when he was younger, wasn't wasn't the brightest. He wasn't the cleverest, and he worked really hard, mm. and he, he ended up with a degree. A really good degree that he was able to use and he was applying his job and again you know I was really proud with that and you know my third son sitting opposite me no. becoming um, the top man mm. in Blackpool fantastic mm. that brings me joy mm. that's lovely that's lovely to hear so can we go the other way then what makes you sad? 
Sad. Other things that make you sad? Yeah, there are. I mean, people, again, it's not educational, but people will let you down. Mm. People who perhaps you think are your friends and, you know, you, you try very hard for them and then... And then they turn around and they let you down. That, that to me, makes me uh, uh, amazingly sad. Mm. There's nothing you can do about it. You've just got to, um, as, as a good friend of mine, John Crellin says, you get on a train, and a lot of other people get on the train. And some get off, they're not really your friends. And some get on again. And they become your good friends. I like, I, li- I like that story. I like that. Yeah. I like that. And the train keeps going. And the train keeps going. And you end up at the end of the line with the people that you want to be with. Mm. The people that you want to spend time with. And that's that's a really important thing. And as you get older, you know, you're still a young man, but as you get older... Thank you. Friends really take on... They don't take on more importance than your family because I don't think I don't think that holds. But they become an incredible part yeah. of your of your life. Mm. And true friends, people who you know would do anything for you. I think that you know people. I, I know that people think that Anna and myself are quite boring people, but we're always there for them. Mm. And you. I know that we're we're both reliable, and if somebody got on the phone or spoke to us, we, we'd be there for them. Mm. And I, I think that's really important in life. Absolutely, I can absolutely testify to that. And it's interesting that you you pick out that thing that makes you sad, because when I heard that, what I thought of is. Well, that's the opposite of actually the way you are. So you're, you know, you're you are the person that gives people time, that doesn't let people down, that is there to support. So actually, it's it's that very quality that you look for in others, and when that's absent, that's that's what makes you sad. Mm. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. I mean, educationally. The- when I when I was teaching myself, it would be, it would be people that didn't use their ability. Yeah. That had the ability, but didn't actually use it. Mm. Uh, and then the opposite to that, I, I can remember a boy called Danny, um, and he he was a very small lad, and. He had, he had absolutely no ability. And there, were, there were people in his year that were fantastic sportsmen. But over the five years, every morning, he'd turn up for basketball training at eight o'clock in the morning. And with that little bit of ability that he had, he progressed. And he became a, he became a, a team player. Yeah. And that made, you, made me really proud. Yeah. And because he'd got that confidence, and it was all... It, it wasn't anything to do with academic work because he got that confidence through basketball, through being part of that team and them supporting them. Mm. I mean, we had a chap in his team who was the captain. He was about six foot five. And he used to really support this this chap, Danny. 
he went on to the army. He went into the army. I didn't think he'd do very well, and he, he became a, a. I think he ended up with in a, as a lieutenant in the army, mm. which absolutely incredible feat. Yeah, truly is, and I think that speaks to how powerful sport can be. And you know, as you know, basketball is huge for me, and part of what NBC teaches our camps at our camps are those foundation stones. You know, one of which is confidence, um, another of which is resilience, not giving up. And you talk about small steps that Danny took each day, but he'd never gave up. And that then became something that enabled him to achieve later in life. I think sometimes we forget that we can learn really valuable skills outside of the classroom. Indeed. And that's that, that, I think that's something, and it's not just in sport, it's in other disciplines too, but we've got to remember that that just because someone doesn't achieve something in the classroom, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be successful or happy. I'm thinking of my Luca, you know, with some of his struggles, but he, he, he has got other skills and he will develop his skill set as he gets older. And the thing that Luca has got, he's got focus. Certainly has. <laughs> Might not be on the right things, but he's got focus. Well, yeah, yeah but he'll change that focus yeah. as he gets older. Yeah, because he's he's a bright lad, and he he will make something of himself certainly. Indeed. So this is a bit of a random. Well, I say it's a random question because it's not something that that I've necessarily asked you before, really. But I'm I'm curious to know what place faith is. Um, played in your life what part if any yeah I've I've been part of um, a church numerous times during my life I mm. my mum was uh, was very church wise and I've stepped in and out of it and I, the last time I, I, w- I was in, I was quite quite a big part of a, 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 of, a of a church. But something happened, uh, and I, I moved off, and I haven't gone back in, into the church. But I, I feel that you know you don't you you don't need to to be part of a religion to be a to be a good person. Um, I think in our household we we do the right things we try to look out for people we try to be kind to people we try to support people and I, I think if you do that in life you do it you're doing a good job yeah um I mean when we've all been through covid and when COVID came, uh, I thought I need to do something, and I thought, how, how can I do? So I, I, I went on a, um, I became part of the voluntary force that went round supporting people that couldn't get out of the house, and I, I did that for two years. I remember, and I, I think I got a lot out of that, yeah. and I'm sure the people did that I, I, I supported in, sure. that, in that instance. And I, I feel if you're doing things like that, you're doing you're doing a good job. 
I mean, we 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 have this thing, Anne and myself, at the moment. We we like to, as we're walking, we we say hello to people, and quite often the people say hello back, and sometimes we have interesting conversation with with them just about the weather or how they're doing, etc. And we we try to do we try to do one good thing a day. Um, a couple of days ago, we we were in Fleetwood. And there was this chap, and he had his he had his camera, um, and he was stuck in the sand, and he was in a he was in a wheelchair, and so can we help? And so we moved him, um, we moved him back, and he he was all set up again. Yeah. But he, if we hadn't come along, he would have struggled because he couldn't move his no, wheelchair. No, absolutely. Uh, and so we, we thought we'd done something. We both smiled at each other and we'd done something good mm. for the day. Absolutely. And I, I think if if you have that mentality and you're supporting people, um, you, you're doing a good job. Yeah. I mean, there are, the, the rugby player at the moment who, who works, who does the running for MND, um, is the England... He's an England defence coach. I can't remember, quite remember his name at the moment, but he's doing he's doing seven marathons, seven yeah. mile, seven marathons plus one mile, and he, he is he is an incredible guy. But when he's interviewed, he always says, "I'm doing it for my friend." His friend is Rob Burrow, who, yeah. who was a rugby league player. I'm doing it for my friend, and. We should all try to be nice to our friends. Mm, nice, nice sentiment. And I, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, I do too. And I love that. I love the notion of doing something nice for somebody else once a day. Yeah, I love that notion. I, th- I feel like you, you, and what you've done there is you've defined your own your own religion in a way. You, you've said I, I'm going to kind of summarize what I believe religion is into actually being a good person which I, I can't say I disagree with at all and and actually I don't need to go to become part of a an organized group um the the phrase that jumps out to me I don't know if you've ever heard it before it says um see if I can remember it right going to church makes you no more a Christian than sleeping in a garage makes you a car but you've managed to swerve the question slightly. So does God play a part in you wanting to do good things? As you know, I was a bit, a bit of a religious uh, education teacher for a while. I remember. And I looked at all different types of religion. When I was at college, it was my third sub. We had to do three subjects. So mine was PE, history, and RE. And... Eventually, I got onto onto RE, teaching RE at school. And I learned different religions, Islam, Buddhism. But, of course, Christianity was, uh, was uppermost at GCSE, so we had to study that. I mean, whether, whether Jesus was around or not as, as God, I, I, I don't really know. But what an incredible individually was and if you look at the teachings of Jesus you can use any of them into today's society and I think 
just where we were talking the moment about supporting, helping friends and that, if he was looking down, he'd think, hmm, that's decent. I like that. Thank you. What kind of last couple of questions I've got for you? What characteristic that you've got, that you believe you have, would you most like to bestow on your children and grandchildren? If you could wave a magic wand. I, I always said to my two lads that, you know, you, you're not the brightest. You like your dad. You're not the brightest. Motivational. <laughs> you're not the brightest around. But you can only do your best. And they always come back to me on this one. You can only do your best, Dad. Mm. And and that's right. If you work really hard and give it give it everything that you've got, you can't do any more than that. No, you can't. And I think I think that's a big thing in life because people people these days when I when I when I look at what they do they, they do half a job they go halfway and expect expect it easy and life isn't easy you've got to work at it mm. if you if you want to be successful and I think that's I think that's that's the key thing mm. and and like I've said before, always being there for people. I think that's 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 important. Yeah. Most especially your friends. Yeah. And and it, it it's hard, and you know I find it difficult when when somebody lets you down. But you know, be, being able to forgive as well is is an is an important factor in life. Has that been something, forgiveness wise? Has that been something that you've struggled with? It is, yeah. You know, I I I look back at my first wife, and um, I know that you have, you know, a good re good relationship with, with you know with with Annalise, which is fantastic. But I I I could never, I could never get that with mm. you know with with my first wife. Um, yeah, and perhaps I, sh I should have been a, a better person in in in, in that respect. Um, I don't know. Well, they say they say, and I don't know what you think of it, but they say around forgiveness that that you know, true forgiveness actually helps the individual that's doing the forgiving, and um, because you, you're able to to let go of it, yeah, um, and and it doesn't become a an obstacle in your life. It doesn't become something that's going to inhibit you emotionally. Do you, do you think that by harbouring things and by holding on to things that that has inhibited you, or were you able to compartmentalise them? I think the last part about compart <laughs> compartmentalisation. I think I think you're right in in that respect, because as I said before many times that uh, I I don't overthink things. No. So she doesn't come into my mind at all. She hasn't done for many many years. But I, I just feel sad that she's let you know my my two boys down over the years, mm. uh, many times, and you know they don't seem to bother now. But I, 
I, I look back on it and think that life could have been so much better, so much easier. But perhaps she was better not being in the lives, really. Who knows? Who, Who knows? knows with that one? Well, they said, you know, like we talked about before, and you talked about some of the experiences of of you being a single dad at a certain point before before Anne came around, and you also had your mum and dad who supported, and and the wider community. So let's hope, you know, the effect has not been. Oh no, no. I mean, I, I look back, and I, I've had a, I've had a great life. I haven't been involved in any wars. Uh, the worst thing that's have happened to me and uh, my my era has, has been COVID mm. and fortunately nothing happened in my in my family with regard to that very fortunately but yeah I've, I, I've been in, I've been incredibly lucky I mean my, my father grandfather you know both involved in things mm. uh, far tougher the, for them than, than life has been for me. Hmm. Is it okay if I ask you about your mum? My mother. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. I know you had a really close relationship with your mum. And yeah. I, I remember how what a strong and amazing woman she was. She, I mean, she swam well into her 80s. She swam till she was 86 and she walked along the promenade every day. After yeah. swimming, she walked along the promenade. From Norbrecht to Little Bismarck every day. Mm. Yeah, amazing. I mean, she uh, she left us through uh, dementia, mm. one of the big curses uh, of life. And but she had a she had a very very good life, mm. quite a long life as well. Yeah. I remember how what a struggle that was towards the end. I mean, seeing your mum like that and having that first-hand experience of what dementia was like. Mm. How, how did that leave you? Well, I, I saw a lot of her, you know, in, in the end. She, she lived for quite a long time in her own house, but then we realised that, you know, she couldn't cope anymore. And, you know, the dementia was coming on quite strong. Plus, she decided to break her hip at the same time that I was having a new hip, which which was very convenient indeed. <laughs> uh, so she, we had to put her into a, a, a dementia home, and they were brilliant. Uh, they were brilliant. This home, absolutely fantastic. And you know, when people go on about the the wage that care people get, mm. you know, it's they, they want to spend some time. I mean, I saw a. I saw her a lot during the week, and I used to I used to walk her along the promenade. Yeah, we we go along the promenade most days, and uh, she still enjoyed that. And I was very fortunate. I mean, I, I see uh, Jack Quarnby, uh, yeah, the, my PE teacher from the grammar school, and he lost his wife to dementia, and his wife Yvonne didn't know who Jack was for the last three or four years which was a great sad. shame yeah. but my mother knew knew who I was right right to the end mm. which was amazing really because she didn't, didn't know anybody else mm. didn't know anything and it must have just uh, had it right at the back of her mind I think yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well thanks for sharing that 
Secret to happy retirement. I'm I'm a few years away. A couple, hopefully, depending on what my wife says. <laughs> Can you give us a secret? What's the, what's the secret to a happy retirement? Well, when Mr. Gove said I, the graduate teacher program was ended, um, I was really upset because I loved my job, and I, I could have carried on till I, I was seventy, like um, Mr. Blake, <laughs> and quite happily done that, and and I. I think I, I could have still done a, a good job like like Roy's doing at the moment. And it's it's a strange one because young people actually keep you young and their problems keep you young and alert. So I missed that for I missed that for something like three to five years, about probably five years. But now we, we have an incredible social life. We we see lots of different people. Um, you know, I, I walk 10 miles a day with my Springer Spaniel Bracken, um, do lots of things together. I've told you already about saying hello to 10 people a day, yeah. trying to do one thing. And I, I think you've just got to keep, you've got to keep going and you've got to apply yourself. I have friends who, uh, sit in the house all day, mm. the same age as me, sit in the house, they read the times. They do the crossword, and the day's finished. But in that time, I, I, we, Anna and myself, we've been out three times doing doing different things, mm. either together or. And I think, well, it actually says we go back to my mother with dementia. Um, that keeps you away from something like dementia. I'm sure, mm. the walking, keeping your mind alert, talking to people. Yeah. Applying yourself, use it definitely. Or, use it or lose it. Indeed, mm. indeed. Mm. Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you this morning. Really has. Um, I mean, there's so many things, so many things. I look forward to to listening back to it. I really will. But we've got a, a tradition on off the court to ask our guests one final question, and the question is: If you could go right back to the start to a time when, you know, you were maybe just while you were still in Manchester, what single piece of life advice would you give yourself? Uh, I've had a look at this and um, it's ruminated him around in my brain for about three or four days. And I've still come back to the same one, which I, which I wrote down initially. And it's, don't be afraid to take risks. Even if you make mistakes or fail, you can learn from them and develop. And I haven't taken as many risks as I should have in my life. Thanks very much, Ian. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Jeremy. Thank you. Well, there we are. Ian is a man who has walked his talk, a person who's been in my life for 40 plus years and my children's life since they were born. He's the least judgmental person I know and one I can honestly say has had the most impact on me in terms of my own adult's life journey. And we can all take inspiration from him setting personal goals with the aim of improving others' lives. Don't you just love the notion of doing one thing each day to make a difference in someone else's life? It's a great challenge for us all. And I love the analogy which um, he's taken 
for his life. Life is a train journey. I wonder in his analogy, who's the driver? I guess we will all have different versions of this in our own journeys. For me though, Ian has been the ticket master on my journey. So even on those times where I may have got off the train and taken other paths, I knew that when I got back on the train, Ian would be there with sound advice, support and encouragement. Thanks, Ian. You've been listening to Off the Court with Jeremy Menino.